I'm Dan Dameron. I'm Nick Staley. And welcome to the Bad Baptist Podcast. What's wrong with you people? Give us some men who know the truth. You're not David. Your trouble in life is not Goliath. I want to be set free from this distortion. I want to be biblical. Welcome to the Bad Baptist Podcast. We are two Baptist pastors on a mission to contrast Baptist and Christian cliches with the truth of God's word, a.k.a. what is it? Sacred cow tipping. To the glory of Christ. For the furtherance of his gospel and for the equipping of his saints. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode number two. Our uh, pilot series was picked up. It was. It was picked up by like 10 people. Tens and tens of Yes, listeners. you know who you are, mom. So th- so thanks for bringing us back for another season. Uh, but seriously, we were just overwhelmed. Uh, we were looking the other day and in the first week of this podcast, we had over 900 streams between Facebook the various podcasting platforms, and our YouTube channel. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much to everybody who watched it, liked it, shared it. Uh, you know, the goal of this podcast is, man, our hope and our prayer is just that God would use this to liberate people. So maybe it's it's someone who hasn't yet come to know Christ, and God uses the proclamation of the gospel in this podcast mm-hmm. to bring someone from darkness to light. Or maybe it's someone who's been stuck in a legalistic background, and, and you know what? We're tipping over some sacred cows here, and they find deliverance in that. I think we've done that for ourselves anyways, I mean, over time. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. All these cows that we're, that we're going to be tipping, we're just doing one today. But and Just remember, we've tipped these cows in our own lives. Exactly. That's the kicker. You know, we're not tipping them just to tip them, because we can. Yeah. But I mean... You know, like today, even today, I know at one point, I this 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 episode, this this idea, what we're going to discuss, I used it out of context before in a wrong way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yep, all of us have. And yep. so that's the purpose of this, man. We just want to equip the saints to learn from our mistakes so they don't make the same mistakes mm-hmm. that we make. Yep. So anyways, at this point, I think it's time to move on to the very first cow that we're going to tip. Nick, what is that cow for us today? So uh, let's just start with what this is entitled. Maybe they can figure it out for themselves and we can just be done with it. And this is, you know, 30, Except for, I'm sure if they're recording. streaming this, they're going to have clicked on the title for the podcast. Episode. True. That's true. But still it is this. If you, it's called when two or more are gathered in my name, somebody getting disciplined y'all. Now the all's <laughs> not on there, but it does sound better when you put it that way. I mean, it's that it's the verse. It's the quintessential verse in Matthew 18, where people say, you know, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am as well. Yeah. You know, there I am in their midst. Yep. And and take it out of context and throw it in a place it doesn't go. Yep. And it screws the whole thing up. It's 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 not good exegesis. Yeah. You know, so so we're gonna be tipping this idea in Matthew eighteen. Yeah. I mean, it's how many prayer meetings have you been to? We're in the middle of a prayer meeting. Everybody's quiet. Everybody's praying. And then you hear somebody say, God, where two or more are gathered in your name, there you were in their midst. Yeah. And you go, 
That's Ooh, not what that means. That's yeah. That's not at all what it means. Who's, you know, you kind of want to step back and go, "Am I in the right meeting?" I thought it was a prayer meeting. I didn't realize it was a discipline meeting. Yeah. Am I, did I get invited here for the wrong reason? I mean, it makes you wonder <laughs> that. You know, if yeah. you know it in this context. Yeah, and so it could kind of be said two ways. I've heard it said two ways. I've heard when two or more there, when two or more are gathered in my name, there's church. Oh yeah. And I've heard when there's two more gathered in my name, Jesus is present. Yep. And so both of those, they're one and the same cow, and we're going to tip over both of them here today. Yeah, so as I was saying, I mean, I, I know within those within those contexts and those meetings, it's always, for me, it's always nine times out of ten been that time in the prayer meetings where this is brought up. Mm-hmm. And it's prayed, and, and I'm not, and I'm not, if you use it, I'm not knocking that you're not sincere in it, mm-hmm. that you're not believing it. I just wanted you to wonder, is that really what it's for? Yeah. Is that what that is, verse means? Is that what that verse means mm-hmm. in its context? You know, we don't, we we don't want it like we're going to be doing in further episodes is is tearing these kind of things down. Um, we're not saying that these aren't good verses. We we love these verses. We just want to see you, the believer, use it where it's supposed to be used, and not pull it out of context. Because we'll, we'll get into it more on that. But you've got a good story on this where it was yeah. used kind of off the cuff. Yeah, and this is one other thing just to, to piggyback yeah. on what you just said is these verses that we're going to be covering, and so this one verse in particular today. It's way more powerful in its original context Correct. than how we often use it. Yep. So when two or more are gathered in my name, there's church. When two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus is present there. Uh, I, I, we were talking about this before mm-hmm. we started recording. Both of us have, have heard so many times when this has been said, and both of us have probably said it at some point in our, mm-hmm. in our Christian walks. But the most recent one that I can remember uh, that really I got a snicker out of, it's because there was a lot of circumstances surrounding it. So it was about a year and a half ago, Eric, our lead pastor, and I were on a staff planning retreat, kind of just planning out the next year's activities for the church. And we're at a, a I feel like I, I don't want to get in trouble. Was it an IHOP? We were at a bar and grill. <gasps> Dude, seriously? Yeah. What's wrong with you people? Yeah. Anyways, we were getting some burgers. We were up north somewhere in Michigan. I don't remember where. Uh, Boyne City, Petoskey, something like that. Anyways, we're at this bar and grill. Hold on, hold on. Let's for anybody not in Michigan, they were up like in this area, like in here. That's the beauty of Michigan because you're kind of that Boyne. We weren't in that that where, dude. Or Petoskey. No, you're up up. Where are you at? So see, this is the beauty of Michigan. It would actually be right over. Like, oh in yeah, this edge. Right, yeah. You're a little higher up. Yeah, yeah I gotcha. Yeah, but anyways, so we're sitting at this bar and grill, and we're getting ready to eat our food, and I had just like read a blog by Noel Hakenen, who is the Midwest director for Acts 29 Church Planning Network. And he was talking about how, like, nowhere in the Bible does it actually say to, that we have to pray over our food. <laughs> yes, we need to. We need what? To pray, yeah, we need to. That'll be another cow for another Heretic. time. Yeah, that'll be another one for another time. But anyway, so I had just, like, recently stumbled upon that and felt liberated. It's like, wow, nowhere in the Bible is it, like, we do this. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing to pray uh, over our food. It's a good thing to pray with our families. But it's like... Especially with some of the food that's out there now. Yeah, when it's Taco Bell, you might want to bless it twice. <laughs> um, but so we were we were out at this bar and grill, and we're getting ready to, to eat, and Eric goes, hey, uh, do you mind if I pray? Because he knew that I hadn't been praying over my food. He's like, is it going to offend you if I pray over my food right now? And I was like, okay, you're funny. All right, go ahead. And so he prayed. And after we finished praying, we ate a little bit. This lady came over and she was like, I just heard you you, you guys praying. You know, when, when two or more are gathered in, in his name, there's church. And so she like goes on. So she starts with that. She goes on to just like unload all the stuff that's going on in her life. And like she asks us to like lay hands on her and pray over. And so we did this at this bar and girl at like 11 o'clock at night. And as she's, as she's finishing up the conversation, she's like, man, oh, that was some good church right there. 
<laughs> it's funny no matter which way you look at it. I mean, it's kind of awkward, but it is kind of funny too. Yeah. You know, you kind of want to correct somebody in that moment. Like, um, let's do some Bible study instead. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you, you've got to be gracious. And that, that's the hardest part to it. That's why things like this, when we when we discuss it, it hopefully brings you to a biblical standpoint where you're not like, you know, you don't want to, when you tip cows, you don't want to, you don't want to injure people in the process. Um, and, you know, in some of those times, like you got to be gracious and just love the person and understand that they're, they're coming from a, a really a sincere, honest place. Um, but from our own standpoint, we go, I don't use this. And here's why I want to be faithful to God's word. Yeah. Um, so that's what's important. Yeah. So you don't have any fun stories for us, Nick? You know, I, I, I don't have one that like totally hits it because it's just time and again, it's that same. It's You hear it so often. Oh, like, it's yeah. It's so much of a cliche that like most of you have probably heard it at some point in the last week at a Bible study or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. Or a prayer meeting. I mean, it, it happens all the time. And I, I just, I honestly, I don't have one that stands out, but I always remember just getting not, not irritated. I don't think that's the word. I mean, more like, just kind of like frustration, like our, our lack of biblical understanding um, is lacking as an American church, um, so much so that we just pull things out of context. And when we do that, I mean, we, we want to be faithful to, to God's word. We pull it out of context. So it just, to me, it's like ripping it apart for the sake of ripping it apart. You know, so I, I don't have like a great story. I wish I did, but I think in your head right now, as you're listening to this, watching this, you're going, oh my goodness, I can think of a dozen times too where I've heard this. Yeah. It just, or maybe it, you're like, yeah. I just said that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Hope you ain't mad at us. Oh, well. <laughs> Not really upset, because you're choosing to listen to this. Yeah. So that is our cow today. Yep. When two or more are gathered in my name, there's church or Jesus' presence is there. Yep. It's a prayer meeting. So I'm ready to start poking some holes in this thing. That's our cow. So we've got the cow. Now we're going to start tipping at it. So here is my first question. Is Jesus only with us when there are two or more people? What, what about when I'm at home praying? Do I have to just like wait for somebody else to show up before I can pray because the presence of Jesus is not there? You know, I think of, of in the Bible when Jesus went into the garden and prayed and told his disciples to sit out, was he not really praying? Because he was by himself. I mean, if you, if you take this in the wrong way, it completely shatters everything. It's, it makes it a, uh, we'll get into it, but it makes it a special, I, I don't know, a super special prayer meeting if you take this verse out of context. I, I don't yeah, really sure. know. I'm not sure the understanding there because I don't understand that rationale totally yeah. where it comes from. Yeah. Or what about, you know, Jesus said he'd be with us always to the end of the age. Yeah. Is this what he meant that he'd only be with us when we're gathered with two or more people? Yeah. God, I mean, when you think about it, God is omnipresent. Mm-hmm. You know, he is everywhere. He is involved in this entire creation, working and moving. I mean, the atoms exist and, and continue to exist in their, in their order and in their way because God has put it there. I mean, he is so involved. He's not creation. That's not pantheism. He's not creation itself, but he's involved in it. He's outside of it, yet he made it. So he is intricately involved in it. You know, this is, um, this is, so just to kind of, okay, in case you go, what is omnipresence? I, I hope you know this term, but if you don't, that's okay. Omni meaning all presence, meaning all present. He's, he's present in all places. And this is a good definition I ran into. So this is not to say that God's form is spread out so that parts of him exist in every location. God is spirit. He has no physical form. He is present everywhere and that everything is immediately in his presence. At the same time, he is present everywhere in the universe. No one can hide from him and nothing escapes his notice. You know, God knows 
everything. Mm-hmm. He is in, he's he is involved in everything. You think of the furthest galaxy, it still is under God's control, the triune God's control. He is spinning it like it should spin. It is orbiting what it should orbit, and it doesn't go out of that because God is over it and watching it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a re- it really, believe it or not, omnipresence is one of the most reassuring things to Christians, especially those maybe that are under a deep persecution or an affliction of some type. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to know that God is there and watching and cares. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but also should if you're an unbeliever, this should terrify you yeah. to know that even your thoughts are caught by God. Yeah, I mean that's that's scary. Yeah, you know. So there, there's the first thing when we're together, when we're praying, God is there. He is present in it, no matter what. And then there's the idea of transcendence, which is this is the idea that that God is like kind of He's above us. He transcends us. Um, so again, so this is a theological term, and it is it is to show that God sits enthroned in heaven, not in creation, and does as he pleases. Um, so Isaiah 6.1 is a good reference for this. Yeah. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, here's Isaiah saying this is before he, when he beholds God in his glory, he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, God is above everything, so he transcends it. So that means that he is king, ruler, lord. But then within that, what is what is tied to it is his imminence. So his imminence is that God is among us. Mm-hmm. So it's a theological term that God is working in creation and especially among his people. Mm-hmm. Christ comes among us not just to be with us, but to deliver us from our sin and its consequences. So so it can be seen really in the, the name of Jesus when he said he is Emmanuel, God with us. But God's imminence is here. So when we are gathered, when we're even by ourselves, Christ is there in a special way, period. We have the Holy Spirit in us, working through us. He resides in us. Mm-hmm. So those prayers, when you're whether there's one or a thousand, yeah. it's just as heard by God and just as understood by God and, and just involved in it. Yeah. Well, you stole my thunder because my next question yeah. is going to be, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, we'll get there. What about the indwelling Holy Spirit? I mean, the Holy Spirit is, I mean, he's there. Yeah. Um, Daniel Hyde said this of it. Paul's reference to the Spirit dwelling in you is the language of intimacy. The term Paul uses is the root word for a house. God the Spirit dwells everywhere, essentially, but he dwells in in us intimately, even as a family dwells together in a house. As Thomas Manton, Puritan, I love Puritans, you ever... If you know me in any bet, Puritan is my favorite. He is in them as he is nowhere else. Think about that. Just as God once dwelt within the tabernacle and the temple in a special way, a way he dwelt nowhere else on the face of the earth, so also now the Spirit of God dwells in you. Yeah. Dude, that should floor us. Yep. You know, I mean... What, what Jesus said, it's better that I go away and that the, the comforter comes to you. So I, I I don't know if it was Eric who coined this or somebody else or he. I J. know D. I learned Greer. from him. What's J. I know what you're going to say. It's you know, J.D. Greer. It's better. Go for it. Well, now you put me on the spot. I know. It's better to have uh, the spirit inside of you than Jesus beside you. of you. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's the glorious part to it. I mean, we have an advocate with the Father yeah. who's pleading on our behalf. Romans 8 9 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, yeah. anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but the Spirit is actually dwelling in us, yeah. and he is there in a way when we pray that God hears our prayers because it's through the Spirit, it's it's by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. Yeah. And it's beautiful. So when I pray, it is going to the throne of grace. When you and I are gathered together, 
we pray, it's going to the throne of grace. When the church corporately prays, it's going before the Spirit. So with taking that verse and throwing it out of, out of its context is really just saying there's this special time when two or more are gathered. Yeah. It's like, you know what? If you were, if you live in a country and you're a lone Christian, you're in the 1040 window. Yeah. You're in a Muslim country where it's illegal to be a Christian. When you pray, God is present and moving. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to throw a handful more verses out there too because we want to make sure that everything that we're saying is is rooted in Scripture. So I've just got four verses that I that came to mind here that I, I kind of jotted down. Yep. One of them is John fourteen seventeen. Jesus said, "You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you." And we've got First Corinthians six nineteen through twenty. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Then you've got Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And one more, 1 John four fifteen. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. I mean, it's it's really within the Christian life. I think John Calvin was noted as, you know, the, the theologian, uh, uh, really bringing the church back to the idea of the Spirit of God, uh, the Holy Spirit, and bringing that back. And that's something we often, as even within Baptist circles, we neglect far too often. We love the Father, Son, Holy Bible. Uh, absolutely. You know, that's that's the kicker. But the Spirit is actually at work with, within us. The Spirit is working in His people. I mean, it's it's a great joy to know that I'm sealed, Yeah. Um, that I am going to heaven, that, that the, the Spirit of God is working in me to will and do of His good pleasure. I mean, it's, glorif- it's, it's a beautiful thing to know that we can approach the throne of grace and we have access by Christ. Uh, but the Spirit is the one moving. I even think of that scripture. It says, you know, when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit does grow. Intercedes on our behalf, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a beautiful thing. And But there's nothing, it's special when brothers pray together. There's no doubt in my mind. God loves it. He sees his, his church um, comforting one another, praying with one another, going to his throne together. You know, I put a picture in my head of, of two people going to a king. You know, to plead on behalf. Yeah, that's awesome. But that one person can go as well. And the thousands can go as well and plead together. So it's it's really a, a beautiful thing to understand that God is transcendent. He's over everything. He sees everything. Um, he is above his creation. But then it's also beautiful to know that he is imminent, that he's yeah. in his creation. And he's working through us, <laughs> us messy people. Yeah. So I've got a question for you then, Nick. Zeroing in on when two earth more gathered in my name there's church what actually constitutes a church is it two or three people that constitutes a church are we having church right now nick is this church right here because many many people would say yes on both sides of the spectrum yeah some who think this simply don't know the scriptures well they've never had uh, this explained to them they've heard other people say it they're new to the faith and haven't had someone really disciple them well but on the polar opposite, you have some in sort of what could be referred to as the Reconstructionist movement who know the scriptures very well. Uh-oh. <laughs> I feel like, I need to, like I'm need like i at that point where it's like I need to – have you seen the Reformed Thug Life stuff where it's like the glasses need to come <laughs> on my face uh, and, the, and the, the thug beats need to start bumping? Yep. But, but there's some in that Reconstructionist circle who know the scriptures super well but will downplay the role of the local church, especially the roles of elders and deacons. Big time. 
you know, within that, what what is the church? What really constitutes a church? It's it's the sacraments and it's the preaching of the word. Yep. You know, those are the things that are important. That's those are you know when you're in church. Yep. People are being baptized. Love you, Presbyterians. Adults are being baptized. Children are being baptized, By not babies. By immersion. By immersion. <laughs> those who have confessed, those credo Baptists. Now we just lost all our Presbyterian listeners. Um, no, um, we're. we're 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 baptizing. We're following the the Lord's the sacraments, the ordinances, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two different views there. Well, that whatever. Um, but that there's communion, um, or the the you know we come to the table, mm-hmm. um, and and then there's the preaching of the word, mm-hmm. the authority of the word of God as yeah. that structure. You know those are things that constitute it. Prayer is a vital part of the church. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that goes into what a church is, and to just go, you know what, me and Dan are here. This is church. It's on. We're going to talk about you know Jesus for a little bit. Talk about the scriptures, and we're out. And this is church, man. While we're smoking cigars, right? While we're smoking cigars, and, and you know, it's that's not church. Yeah, we are the church. Yeah. Yes, we're a part of the church, and we are the church um, in the sense that we're Christ's bride. But this is not constituted church meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that those are those are parts that the church does. You know, yeah. th- there's again. Communion is such a beautiful thing. We've we've kind of we've almost rediscovered communion as a church. I, I would say um, recently with doing it more and more often and seeing the the importance of it and the beauty of it, which we'll deal with that eventually here. Um, but those are things that will define a church. If you don't mm-hmm. see that stuff going on in any said way, yeah, probably in a church. Yes. Yeah, so, so just to reiterate, what constitutes a church is first and foremost the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. The sacraments being baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we baptized into church membership. When someone places their faith in Christ, baptism is the public sign of the covenant. It's God saying we are his, and it's us saying that we have died to ourselves and that we are following Mm -hmm. after him. Additionally, as we go beneath the water, that symbolizes our death to the old self, and the coming up symbolizes being raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life. You, you looked like you had a thought you wanted to throw in no, there. No, I was going to just go on communion a little bit. That's That was my next one. Well, yeah, so, then, so then the Lord's supper, supper, amongst many other things, signifies our abiding in that covenant. So baptism shows as our public profession that we are in the covenant. But the Lord's Supper signifies our abiding in it. So when we take the elements, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We are partaking in his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for our sin. I mean that's that but that is what constitutes the church. You know, we can't say we're a church for not doing these things. In some way, I mean, even our presbyterians who get it wrong on baptism, they're still, you know, the, the, they're still administering the sacraments whether we agree or disagree. I'm I'm a pretty um I'm a pretty while well, I'm I hold dearly to my my credo baptism. Um, I, I totally understand where my Pato brothers come from. We love them. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And we have more in common with them than we do a lot of other Baptists. Uh, absolutely. And and so that that that's a beautiful thing. So we love you. Yeah. Guys. We have Presbyterians mm-hmm. that are church partners or church members at yeah. our church. That, that, we have partners. Uh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to trip some people up. So, anyways, so let's move on from there. I mean, this is where we're at. Now, yeah. Well, I got I got yeah. one more. What you got? So so we've talked about the indwelling Holy Spirit. Yep. We've talked about what constitutes a church. We've talked about that Jesus is with us when we're praying, even when other people aren't there. But here's one more as we the final push to tip the cow over. Is this the final countdown? This is here's the, the final, final. Yeah. Oh, no, this is the, fi- the final push, Nick, <laughs> okay. to tip the cow over. What about the fact that in its proper context, that verse does ne- that you're quoting does not make sense? <sighs> yeah. It doesn't, does it? But as we promised, yep. 
when we tipped them cows over, which I think we did. I think we did. Yep. We tipped it over. Pretty I hope so. Good. I hope it stays down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but what we yeah what we said though is that you know as we tip cows over, we're gonna build you back up. So Nick, you want to take us through just rebuilding the ruins here by examining yes. that scripture in its proper context. So let's just read through the scripture real quick here. So we're gonna go to Matthew chapter eighteen verses fifteen through twenty. That's where it's found. The verse that is always taken out of context is verse twenty. So here he goes. If you brother, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about Anything they ask will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is what has historically been referred to as church discipline. Y'all, <gasps> don't you be disciplining me. The church disciplines, but I thought God was love, Nick. <laughs> I'll just read Hebrews chapter 12 when you get a minute. Yeah. More than God is love, more than love your neighbor, more than... Care for the, the widows and the orphan and the, and the least among us. Jesus taught to repent. He spoke that. You can take. You don't just take my word for it. Go, th- go through and study the Gospels. More than any other command, Jesus said that we are to repent. That is to turn away from our sin. That is to kill the sin and look to him. So I thought at this point it could be good to go through and, and look at some verses talking about discipline. Because I know for some people it's like, this is totally new. You're like, what? I've been going to church my whole life, and I've never been disciplined. Right. I've never been spanked at church. I mean, that's what my kids, when you say discipline at home, that's what kids think, right? <laughs> yeah. Somebody's pulling out the paddle and getting whopped. Yeah. So I can't think of a better place to start than Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the, the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now as Baptists, man, we love this baptizing part. Mm-hmm. I think we've got that. Hallelujah. I think we've got that good. I think we've got that unlocked. I think we may have that too good because a lot of times we're baptizing people that aren't believers. You know, I wonder if anybody's got a patent on it because we should totally get it. Yeah. Make some money on it. So, Far too often, this is like this verse is like, yeah, we're gonna go and we're gonna make disciples, we're gonna baptize them, and like we 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 really have this up. And baptism is great, presuming that it is a regenerate person <laughs> who's actually placed their faith in Christ, and we're not just inflating our numbers to to look good. And not somebody just said the sinner's prayer. Ooh, I just said that. Yeah, that'll be another one. Uh-huh. Um, but we have what we've gravely failed at is teaching them, teaching those that we've baptized, teaching the disciples to observe or obey better said the commandments that jesus has given us <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just thinking of andy stanley and how he would throw this all out with the bathwater wait you said command there's only one command but it's in the new testament yeah i mean it's not old testament you know within that within that verse though you think about it christ has authority so is the king the king is the one who is to teach us where to follow his ways and if we're not doing that we need to be disciplined brought back in you know, within 
I, like I said, with the home, the home is a beautiful picture of discipline. It's like when we get to our home, we understand discipline. When we get to the church, we throw it out and say, well, you know what? Discipline is not what the church does. I mean, we don't want that. We want church to be all about me and love, and we don't want the hard truths. When it comes to your children, you know, you think when my kids were young, you know, they, what do they, they go for the stove. Why? I still don't know. I, I know I did too as a kid. Like you want to go for that red glowing surface and you're like, no, 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 no. Eventually you swat their butt. Yeah. You spank their butt, you know, and, and, and you correct them. You love them. You show them their sin in this. And what is the goal of it is to show them their sinners, their need for the gospel. And what does discipline do? The same thing when it's done right we're not spanking each other it's <laughs> that'd be awkward um but we're not spanking adults <laughs> right that's not discipline in, in the house of god yeah um that's for our children you know spare the rod spoil the child as, as they say but or apply the rod of correction or the how does that go anyways um there's there's i'll come up with it in a minute but anyways you know within that discipline place we understand christ has authority and his church is under his authority and rule and if they're misbehaving if they're not following his laws he's going to correct them and his vehicle for that is the church yeah and so i mean and for him to say too to teach them Mm -hmm. to observe or to obey all that i've commanded well to become obedient is to be corrected Mm -hmm. is to make mistakes and, and be lovingly corrected and so just in the great commission of itself uh we see the need for discipline but i know some people would disagree with me on that so i got some more scripture what here's another one hebrews 12 7 through 11 this is i love this verse it says it is for discipline that you have to endure god is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons besides this we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So so how is it that God disciplines. Definitely one of the vehicles that he uses is the local church. He uses the local church. We are to teach people to observe all these commands. We are to correct this, and we are to discipline by his authority. Discipline, it's good. Yes. It hurts. Yeah. It's not pleasant. But, you know, reality is if we're not disciplining ourselves, if we're not, if we're not actually looking at ourselves and checking ourselves and, and seeing where we're at, then it is the place for the church to step in. It is for a brother. I mean, how much do you really have to hate somebody not to, 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 to not call them on their sin? I mean, this is not some like, you know what, every little sin I see you do, um, I'm going after. But it's the big ones. You know, it's the things that are that are public, or it's a, it's a habitual. It's the unrepentance. Yeah, it's habitual, continuing in sin that is that is seen by by someone. Yeah. Um. Even within that verse, though, he really goes into the original verse we were talking about Matthew. Because if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Yeah. You know, it, it's. Yeah. <sighs> discipline is beautiful when done biblically. Yeah. Yeah, and we're gonna get into that just a little bit. So we're we're actually gonna take and we're gonna walk verse by verse through that section of of. Matthew 18, but I want to throw out one more verse. 
We're actually going to be, this is one of the verses that we're uh, exposing this Sunday at church. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So church discipline is a part of the discipleship process. It's the part where we correct sin and we point the disciple to the better path. To be discipled is to be disciplined. Discipleship in the local church involves church members helping one another follow Jesus. Members do this through formation and correction. We teach the good, we correct the bad. We encourage one another toward the right path and help keep one another off the wrong path. Mm -hmm. Think about it this way. Nobody deceives us more than we deceive ourselves because nobody talks to us more than we talk to ourselves. Right? Like all day, we're running stuff through our head. All day, we're we're talking to ourselves. Wait a minute, hold on. You do? I don't. Not out loud. Maybe you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Way to ruin a moment. <laughs> but no one, no one deceives us more than we do ourselves. And so discipleship, discipleship exists in part because people, including Christians, are prone to self-deception. Local churches exist in part to protect us from ourselves. It's the brothers and sis- sisters uh, around us who love us and are committed to our good that help us see the things that we cannot see ourselves in that moment. Believe it or not, this is, this is huge. I'd, huge? In the words of Matt Chandler, all right, you tracking with me? <laughs> We're not the world's experts on ourselves. We may be just a little bit biased. I, I, I just want to say, you're not Matt Chandler. <laughs> 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 no, I think John Piper had a sermon a number of years ago. I think it was called War, uh, if I believe what it was. Um, anyways, within it, he says, you know, we make war, but we don't make war with like other people. We make war with ourselves because my worst enemy is not Satan. My worst enemy is Nick Staley. Yeah. I am my own worst enemy. Um, and I am always deceiving myself. Yeah. You know, if we're, when you look at what a Christian should be, a Christian should be somebody who's in the Word, who's studying the Word, who's reading the Word, who loves the Word, who's yeah. praying, who's taking the sacraments, who's involved in a local church. You know, and if we're not doing that stuff, how do you expect, I mean, you're not being discipled one from the Word. If you're not around other people, you're not being discipled by them. I, I'm a firm believer, you know what? You should have somebody discipling you. Um, you should have somebody teaching you the right and wrong things. You should have somebody to bounce things off of. And if we're not doing that, if we're not actively involved with that one person that can really pour into our lives, discipline is going to get ugly. Yeah. Uh, because we're just going to be like a rogue, you know, a rogue spy yeah. who does his own thing and, it, and does whatever he wants instead of being like a, a part of an ambassadorship that is reaching a lost world. Yeah. At this point, I think it would just be really fitting to, to look at it this way. We are followers of Jesus. We are his ambassadors. We bear his name. We are the visible representation of him here on earth. We've literally been said that we're created in his image. So shouldn't our lives reflect that? Think about it this way. Say there's a a king in a foreign land, and he has an ambassador that he sends to another country on his behalf. And that ambassador goes against everything that the king has, has spoken in thought and in word and in deed. Would not that ambassador who bears the name of the king need correction? Would not he need to be disciplined? And so it is with us. When we, when we choose our sin, when we choose to live in a way that reflects the world and not the God who has sent us, we need to lovingly be corrected. 
You know, when when it comes to discipline, the the big the big thing is the gospel's at stake. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the it's big, the name of God, absolutely the name of Christ. That is the uh, that is that is why. Why do we live the way we do? It's for the glory of Christ. It's for His gospel to get out. And when we become a reproach to the gospel, when we go against it, when we fight against what the gospel is clearly said, or if we're making it look not as beautiful as it is we deserve discipline we need discipline mm-hmm. because at the end of the day day i will be forgotten i think of the moravian missionary i uh count zizendorf i believe it was said preach preach the gospel die and be forgotten um there's some beautiful sentiment in that because we will be forgotten um i i praise god if i am forgotten here uh, but as long as I go home to heaven, mm-hmm. that's my reward. Yeah. The gospel is at stake, though, and how I live my life, what I do with my life, how I love my neighbors as myself, that brings the gospel to bear. Yeah. That is the big thing. It's the gospel. That's why discipline is needed. Yeah, this is that's what's at stake. And so just on a, like, a little closing note on this before we actually start tearing apart this, this portion of Scripture, I promise we will get to it even though we're like 30 minutes into this thing. That's right. I know that there are a lot of people who have told us that they're listening to the podcast who aren't yet believers. They're not Christians. Um, so this question I have would be directed towards you. For those of you who, who aren't a Christian, who aren't professing Christ, have you ever been hurt or sinned against by someone who professed to be a follower of Jesus but wasn't acting like one? How do you now feel about the church and Christians? This is why discipline is so important because it protects the name of Jesus. A lot of people will say, Man, yeah, I knew some Christians, but if that's what Jesus is like, I don't want any part of it, you know. And there's there's bigger issues there than just that. But but on the like, if you're an unbeliever, wouldn't you be grateful? I know this discipline. It's like, oh, church is disciplining. That sounds cultish. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but for real though, you know, wouldn't you appreciate people being consistent in their walk? And that's the end that discipline serves. So in light of this, how should church discipline operate? What's the first step, Nick? First step is one on one. Verse fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. The first point of discipline is is the person who is offended within it. Um, we got to look at that person because there is a hurt party within this. And the goal of discipline, one, is to see that, that believer, the brother, um, who has sinned against the other brother, repent and repent. Um, and seek forgiveness because you know we're told we're told within the the two tables of the law of God in the Ten Commandments you have that which is upward and that which is which is well, I guess vertical and what that which is horizontal um, love love the Lord your God with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself mm-hmm. um, those right here when you see this it's like that person has been offended and we got to worry about them but the goal of discipline is restoration mm-hmm. it's it's going to them one on one. It's loving them enough to say, you have sinned against me and I am hurt. Mm -hmm. You have offended me. And in so doing, the word sin, you've sinned against God because all sin is upward, but you've also sinned against me. So the first point of it is going one-on-one, taking it to them, not being afraid to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And we had discussed this earlier in the week when we were sort of preparing for this, but where it says, if your brother sins against you, there's some variance there yeah. um, between the, the mm-hmm. manuscripts. And so this could, and, and if we compare it in the whole scope of the New Testament, like Paul speaks a lot on, on church discipline. But so it's not just if somebody has, has sinned against you, but it's if you see somebody that is living in, in unrepentant sin. Um, it's, man, the, the church is riddled with gossip. Mm-hmm. 
we see somebody and we're like, oh, how could they do that? And then we go and tell other people about it. No, that's Jesus saying that's not okay. That's not how we do this here. We keep the circle as small as possible. And so when you perceive that someone has sinned against you or is living an unrepentant sin, that is, they are habitually sinning without turning to Christ, then we need to go and handle it with them one on one. And just some practical advice on, on how, how to do this. You don't go and say, hey, man, you did this to me. You need to apologize. This despite, is about, despite wanting to do that. Despite <laughs> wanting to do that. Because, yeah. man, this is something that, like, even just, like, with our elders at our church and our leadership team, man, we, we church discipline each other, like, I don't even know, maybe as much as once a week. Because sometimes we just misunderstand people. And so rather than assuming the worst of them, we need to go and ask for clarification. So in the court of law... The defendant is not pronounced guilty. They don't receive a verdict until many questions have been asked. The evidence has been thoroughly examined and the jury has deliberated. And so it is with church discipline. Hear me on this. We must assume innocent until proven guilty. We must extend the benefit of the doubt. Questions must proceed proceed accusations. We ought to seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Clarity must be sought before certainties are pronounced. This is the end that church discipline serves. And so I just think practically, I think I think the first time our lead pastor ever disciplined me and put the whooping on, I'm just kidding. But he, <laughs> practically, practically work, working it out, this is how it happened. Our lead pastor, Eric, when we were early on, like I don't even know if we had started, I think we'd launched the church, but we, we just started small groups. And he had sent me a text and said, hey man, would you be interested in leading worship uh, I'm one of the worship leaders at our church. He said, would you be interested in leading worship for our small group tonight at my house? And I said, yeah, cool, man. Whatever you want. You know, I can take it or leave it. Like, whatever you think, like, I'm, I'm good with that. Because the way it was posted to me is, is this something that you would like to do? I would be happy to. Um, but the way that I, that I framed it was like, yeah, man, you know, whatever you want. You know, if you want to do it, cool. If not, like, I didn't want him to feel like he was having to give me a place to mm-hmm. serve when he was teaching. And so he called me up like a few minutes later. He, and he goes, hey, man, what? What did you mean by that? Like, you know, and you said you could like take it or leave it. I was like, oh, dude, I just didn't want you to feel like you had to provide that avenue for me to lead in some capacity. Like, dude, I'm just happy. Like, if you just want to teach, like, I'm happy to be there. And he was like, oh, man. Okay, cool. Because I thought, like, my worship leader didn't want to lead worship. And I thought that there was an issue there. <laughs> and so he could have he dropped that authoritarian hammer of judgment on me. But instead, he sought to ask questions before just presuming my guilt in it. And, and like that the kind of thing happens with us all the time. Like Nick and I do that to each other all the time. So it's like, you know, church discipline, as you alluded to, is not, it's not about spanking people, whether physically or with the Bible. Um, but it's about seeking. So before, like this first step is literally just seeking understanding. So we don't just tell someone that they're guilty. We ask questions and we, and we seek that understanding. But the, that key part is, man, we go one-on-one. On one. We don't go and confer with other people. We don't say, oh, man, have you seen what so-and-so was doing? Or, oh, man, this is what so-and-so did to me. Yeah, you don't, pro- you don't, you don't gossip in the prayer meetings. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know old Betty in the middle of prayer. Lord, you know she's just gossiping all over the place. So, you know, we need to make sure that Betty's not gossiping no more. So, Lord, I ask you to stop her from gossiping Yeah, by gossiping. You know, so we just need to, it's, it's, it's a loving thing to go. If you discipline your kids by throwing them in front of all of your other kids and spanking their butts, you're doing it wrong. You know, this is something, a tender moment between a parent and the same should be with brothers. Yeah. You know, it's, it's Mm one-on-one. It's, if you really love somebody, you take it to them. Yeah. You know, and it's very important to do it that way because why God has said it. 
That's the authority. That's why we do it. Yeah. You know, I don't have to give you a great rationale for it. God has said it. Do it. Yeah. And truth be told, this is where, like, I think David Platt in his commentary on Matthew uses this, this statistic. He said this is where, so I'm sure he's basing it on his personal experience. He said this is where 95% of discipline is handled. Because a lot of times, like like I said, we are self-deceived. So, Nick, if, if you come to me and say, hey, man, I saw this and, you know, I think that you're that you're sinning in, in this particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, could you could you like flush it out for me? A lot of times right there I can go, oh, dude, like I didn't even see that. Man, thank you for bringing that to my attention. You know, And a lot of times the truth will take you off before it sets you free. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, this is the first step. We just have to go to that person one-on-one. And you'd be surprised at how much is resolved when we do it that way and not go around gossiping about people. Absolutely. All right, next point. It says where two or three witnesses are gathered. So, so, so at this point it says, but if he does not listen. So this guy, I've went to him, we've talked, and he just kind of blew me off. Um, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you're not, now let's, let's stop here. You don't pick your best friends and go, I know they're going to agree with me, so I'm taking them. We're looking for impartial witnesses. Yep. People that can come, look at it and go, yes, this is an issue. No, it is not an issue. Um, we need people impartial. So basically, it's in a court of law where you have two people sitting there as judges, or two to three as judges going, let me hear your side. You give it. The other guy goes, well, this is my side. Um, so we want to establish maybe maybe the guy who's going is wrong. Maybe mm-hmm. this isn't sin. Maybe he's offended in something that didn't happen. We want to be able to bring a judicial I mean, God is concerned with justice. We want to bring a judicial um, act within this. We want people to judge in a right way. Yeah. Um, so we want to take those people with us as witnesses bearing to what is going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so where this finds its root is in Deuteronomy 19. So like Jesus isn't making up something new here. He's he's drawing from the law of God. They're not unhitched. They're inextricably connected. Yep. <laughs> Andy Stanley. You Hashtag know. Andy yeah. Stanley. Uh Deuteronomy 19, it says in verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that has uh, been committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Because let's look at it this way. I could have gone to Nick because I thought he sinned against me or he was living on repentant sin and I address it, but I'm a huge jerk. And I just come into it and I'm just assaulting him. I don't seek that understanding. I don't even hear out his case. And so then when he's like, dude, I, I didn't do anything wrong, I go, oh, I'm going to get a couple witnesses. So when we get those two or three witnesses, they're really – one of the functions is to bear witness to the, the to what's going on between the two of us. So we make our case again and they could go, you know what, Dan? Like I think you're actually sinning, man, because you're accusing him of, some, of something he didn't do and you're not hearing him out for what he has done. Yeah, it could flip around on you. It's yeah. kind of a scary thing to think of too. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, we are all – fallible there's always a chance that we didn't handle that initial one-on-one meeting as well as we had hoped for could have thought we did um maybe our, our fleshly pride uh, we we came with judgment maybe we didn't seek to truly understand this brother or sister at any rate the best thing we can do at this point is to bring in two or three witnesses to testify to the exchange and as you kind of alluded to in the ideal uh situation these people would be two or three people who could step into the dialogue unbiasedly um, yet those who maybe the, the undefending party or the, the defending party would, would have respect and would actually hear them out. 
It doesn't always mean that you know I'm bringing the elders of the church. Doesn't mean no, that. it doesn't. It could because you know what there could be times I'm biased. Yeah, um, because I might have a propensity to liking the other person more, or yeah. or having more of a, you know I, I'm trust me I'm I'm not I'm not a perfect judge of character. Nobody is. Only Jesus is. Um, but there are other people that are better at it, and you go, you know what? This might not be a take. I, the church elders don't always have to be involved in everything. Yeah. Um, it, this is a time where it's it's a loving thing. You can go, man, I'm going to take so-and-so and so-and-so because I think they could be. If you really want to restore your brother and you really think he sinned against you, isn't it important to get people that can look at it impartially? Yeah. If, if we understand ourselves that we are wretched sinners, it should be easy for us to go, I don't even trust myself. Yeah. I need to be reassured or find out if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, so it's important to find those people and seek them out. Yeah. And I mean, usually, like I said, like somebody who's respectable, somebody who, who you trust their their judgment on, somebody who's who is wise and has potentially walked through this kind of thing before. Because I mean, there's honestly, there's been times where I brought something to Eric where it's like I'm wanting him to bear witness to something, and he goes, our lead pastor, he goes, dude, honestly, man, like I love you so much that I don't know I can see this situation clearly. So you should probably seek counsel. Uh, you should seek counsel elsewhere. Uh, so these witnesses, they testify to one of two things: either the person. Uh, is in the wrong and needs to repent or we ourselves misjudge the situation and ought to repent and seek forgiveness for bearing false witness uh, about this individual. Yeah. All right. The next point is if he refuses that. So these two, so you've got the one-on-one happens, mm-hmm. nothing. The two or three come and they go, you know what? You're right. This brother has sinned and this guy is unrepentant. He's like, you know, forget you guys. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. I, it's not an issue. I don't see it as a sin. So the next point is if he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. Now, he's not bringing that person into that within that text. He's saying, tell it to the church. It's time for the larger church. This is the importance of that local church body to get involved in it. Yeah. You know, so the church is important to this because now we've brought it to, we want to bring it to everybody's attention. Yeah. um, That it needs to be addressed. Um, It's, it's not, it's not pretty. I mean, if it gets to that point, this is pretty bad. I, 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 we were talking, there's a story um, of John MacArthur within uh, Ian Murray wrote a biography on him I read a number of years ago but I remember what struck me in this was there was a moment of church discipline at his church where a, where a husband and I could be a little off on this story so if I am don't start sending us messages saying oh you said that wrong you get grab the context of this but anyways a guy had essentially was left his wife was living with a woman I mean he was a member of the church and uh, it was brought to the attention of the elders. The elders, John MacArthur himself, actually, I believe, called the guy and was mm-hmm. like, hey, what is going on? You need to leave there. You need to turn from this because the guy wouldn't hear them. Um, and the guy just completely refused it. So a couple of people, I think, went, if I remember right, went to the house, basically knocked on the door and said, dude, repent. Go back to your wife. This is un- this is not good. Mm-hmm. And so then they took it to the church and said, listen, they didn't go, this guy is out of the body. They said, this guy is an unrepentant sin. I don't even think they delineated what it was, but they just said, church, we need you to pray for him. We need you to pray and seek God on his behalf and his wife's behalf. I believe they were taking care of the wife, doing everything they could. What the end result was, was the man repented. The man went back to his wife. They were restored and God was glorified. The gospel was at stake. Yeah. You know, so we bring it to the church. Yeah. It's really important here that we persevere Mm -hmm. in seeking peace. Yeah, this God loves us so much that if we are caught in sin, he will send an entire army of believers to us just to demonstrate his love and his mercy. So that one-on-one meeting didn't go well. They refused the counsel. So we come back, two or three witnesses. They refused that counsel. They are still living in unrepentant sin. 
at this point we get the church involved and we bring it to the church and and practically speaking we don't air out all their their no. their dirty laundry we provide a name and we provide just the pertinent information we don't got to tell this massive stringed up story with all these elaborate details we just need to address what 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 the sin is and and encourage the church man just reach out to this brother go on and love him and so that's what we see in the second half of of uh well actually i guess moving on then so that's the third step the fourth step is if he refuses to listen to even the church let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector well who are gentiles and and tax collectors those were those were those who weren't christians those were those who were not of the believing faith they weren't they weren't christians Mm -hmm. and so we treat them as that well what does that mean does that mean that we have nothing to do with them well how did jesus treat gentiles and tax collectors he loved them he loved them Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah, I mean, this can be, and realistically, why the sacraments are important is at this point, communion should be held back from that person. Yeah, you know, a, a gentile and tax collector was not welcome to the table to to the communion table um, because it was restricted from them. I mean, it was taken away, and really, that's the point where we go. You're welcome to come. You're welcome to hear the preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to be a in this body. You're not serving. Yeah. You've pulled that away. But really, it's you're not allowed in the communion table yeah. and that should if we understand communion right it should wreck us yeah so this is this is the point of excommunication or better said excommunioning really because we're saying so communion we we take this and we're professing the lord's death in this well if this person is living in unrepentant sin they're evidencing you know that they are not one of god's people at least just based on their current actions and so we go you know what you know you can't you can't take of these elements anymore yes they can come and hear the preaching yes they can they can partake in, in worship, but they cannot partake of the communion table because that is reserved for those who are believers in Christ, for those who are being holy as he is holy. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's really important there. And so we still love these people. If we pass them at the grocery store, we don't <laughs> we don't ignore them. <laughs> what do we do? We run for them. Yeah. We we champion them. We pray for them. Man, if if, if it reaches this point at your church, man, pray for this person. Because that's what this is intended to do. Yeah, I mean, think of it. When you, you have a body, and we've given that picture. The, Christ is really clear on the picture of the body. And if, if one member hurts, I mean, you look at your little toe. If you break your little toe, it screws up the way you walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it hinders you. And when a member of the church has sinned so greatly that it has been brought before the church, it stifles the body. It hurts the body. Yeah. But what do you do with that part of the body? You cast it up. You care for it. You love it. With the hope of it being healed. Yeah. And we need to do that with these people as well, which couldn't be ourselves at some point. Yeah. You know, we need to grasp this idea that we all need it. <coughs> pastors, non-pastors, we all need discipline. Yeah. Um, and, and we just, this should heed us to look at this and go, man, when somebody does come to you and say, brother, you've sinned against me, we ought to stop and go, Jesus said, if they bring it to you one-on-one. I really need to look at this because this brother finds it so severe. Yeah. You know, and that person has been wronged. I mean, really, this whole thing, though, is still pointing back to that offended party because somebody has been offended. Somebody has been hurt and mm-hmm. they need that. You know, uh, you think of, uh, I, I, I know Dan and I are both abolitionists when it comes to abortion. Yeah. And when you look at abortion and, and the way that people view it and they say, well, abortion should be legal for rape and incest. It's like, okay, what is true justice? Justice isn't, you go, you know, it, within justice, you don't go, okay, this woman was raped. Let's execute the child 
and let's throw the dad in jail and let him get out in 10 years and the mother is broken having not the child anymore and been abused by a man biblical justice says you know what you have you have hurt this woman you have hurt her in the wrong way the old testament is really clear on this that man should be put to death the baby and the mother should be given the love and and care that they need Hmm. because they need it that's where we as a church has dropped the ball overall. But even in that, we care about the victims. Yeah. And in this, God is caring about the victims so much that he's even trying to take that brother and said, you've sinned here, so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really important here is the goal is not to shame somebody. On the contrary, our hope and our prayer is always for reformation and restoration. That this person would turn away from their sin and fix their eyes on Jesus. And this is really important too. Through this whole process... Through this whole process, we have to remember, as we address these people, that we too are sinners in need of Jesus' saving grace, just as much as they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you'd kind of alluded to this. Um, it's funny that you actually used the example of a toe, because that was what I was thinking of earlier. Like, <laughs> like when you break your toe, you start walking funny, and your and your leg bothers you. And the next, you know what, you, you've got back problems. It's And so that's this is why the person needs to be excommunicated like the the new testament often refers to the church as being the body of christ each person being just one part of the overall body we see this in first corinthians uh, 12 uh, romans 12 ephesians 4 but now let's cross reference that with an analogy of the human body if one part of the body is dead in sin not functioning as it should to leave it attached to the rest of the body would have catastrophic ramifications Inevitably, infection is going to set in throughout the entire body. And in time, if this is we're talking about a human body, you'd die. So that body part must be cut off to preserve the rest of your life. And so it is with the church, the body of Christ. On this point, Albert Barnes said this, This is the only way of kindness. This is the only way to preserve peace and purity in the church. While we are to regard the person as an unbeliever, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for them daily. It doesn't mean uh, that we should be unkind to them when we run into them in the grocery store. It doesn't mean uh, that we shouldn't assist them. Um, on the contrary, Jesus has called us to do all, all of those things. Um, and so, yeah, if it gets to this point, and, and heaven forbid it doesn't, um, at our church personally, we have not seen this. It hasn't gone this far. No. Um, not even close. No. <clears throat> you know, but but we always need to be prepared for it. You know, the, the, another missed part within this too is is who the other offended party really is and like you alluded to there it's the church itself um, when grievous sin comes into the church and is allowed there the church is harmed by it as well yeah. her reputation is harmed I mean there there's more people that are there's a lot of people that will be harmed in those yeah. and so the church is really just as much as a victim within a outward very open sin that's really wrecking part of the body i mean it's affected the body so much that it's limping now mm-hmm. and that toe is broken so you know there's there's the person that was offended the church is actually and then greater than that is christ is it's his offended. name it's his Absolutely. name that's at stake here yep and that's why this is so important so important because really someone is bearing false witness as to what it looks like to be like jesus to be a follower of jesus if we're not actually following him and they're kind of taking that back to that whole ambassador analogy i used earlier so we want to make sure discipline is done right. You want to make sure it's followed. I mean, it's beautiful because we, here we have steps. Here are the steps. They're clear as day. From, right from Jesus. Yep, absolutely. You know, if you're a red letter, those red letter Christians, hey, here's a word of Jesus. Um, but Just a word of advice. The whole thing is red letters. Absolutely. Um, but th- this gives you the steps. It's really simple. We muddle it so much. 
and make our own ideas and set up rules and laws and things that just aren't there. When it's just clear, follow it and restoration will come. You know, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So verses 19 and 20, Dan, let's let's hear these within. Actually, we have 18 first. Oh, 18, 19, 20, I'm sorry. So verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You want to break this down for me? I'm just, I'm just laughing. No offense, guys, um, but it is pretty funny when you're always binding and loosing things. I'm binding and loosing. I bind the the, the demon of <laughs> of gout. You know, <laughs> some of this crazy stuff we do. This isn't what that means either. Mm-hmm. You know, but what we bind. So as the church has come and the church has said, you know what, this person has sinned. It's there, and they're refusing to hear. The greater church, they refused to her. Their brother, their multiple brothers, and now the multitude of brothers within that local context. He says, if you say, if you have followed my rules, you have followed my laws, you've brought this brother to this point, and you say, you know what? Cast the brother out. We need to do this. Christ is saying, I'm there too. I, I, I You have my authority. I mean, we, we, Christ has all authority, and he has given us levels of authority. Yeah. Um, and this is one of those places where the church has that authority to say God's law has been been broken. Um, Christ has been offended. His church has been has been offended. Uh, this brother has been offended. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's saying, hey, you know what? If you bind it, if you say this is so, he's like, yep, it is because you. I'm giving you that authority to do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's really what we're seeing here is we're seeing Christ extending uh, his authority, which we saw earlier in the Great Commission, he gives us his authority yep. as we teach people to observe his commandments. And David Platt, uh, in his Christ-centered exposition, great commentary series, just super practical. This is what he had to say. Can you do it with uh, David Platt voice? And <laughs> say it really fast? David Platt? No, he like draws stuff out and his voice crackles. Doesn't he have that like, talk really fast, though? Gets going? Yeah, he does when he's okay. excited. Um, but here's what he said. He is saying, he said, uh, he said, he is saying what we do as a church in his name with his authority is a reflection of what he does in heaven. So if someone comes to the church and says, I am living in sin and I am unrepentant, I will not turn to Christ on this matter, then we as a church have, have the authority to say that, uh, that that person, you are living bound in sin and your sin is not forgiven. It makes me think of it at the abortion clinic a lot of times when we're ministering out there. You get women and men there who come up and say, well, I'm a Christian. God will forgive me. And yes, God forgives us. But if we are unrepentant in that sin, is that sin forgiven? That's scary how many people say that too. Yeah. It really is. So, so we have this authority then to say you are bound in sin and your sin is not forgiven. Not because we say so, but because God's word says so. However, if someone is repentant, we can say with full confidence. Because the reality is when we're like bogged down in our sin, even when we have come to see the sin and when we've repented there's often still a weight that lingers there like we feel like we've gotten this. and so like abortion a lot of people feel like man like who've gone through it go man this is like the unpardonable sin can god ever forgive somebody like me who's gone through this but we as the church if someone is repentant we can say with full confidence with the authority of the lord that he has forgiven them and they are now free from that amen praise god that is a beautiful thing yeah so you have the two sides of that i mean it's it's if you if you if you bring that the side of, of discipline needs to be there and it's 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 taking them from the table um then god says yes praise him but when that person is repentant we have that authority as well mm-hmm. to say brother welcome mm-hmm. welcome back glad you have been restored now you know you know you longer you no longer yeah, bear that mark it's absolutely. been wiped clean you know and it's a beautiful thing you know i think of the scripture where christ said you know forgive seven times 70 mm-hmm. um yeah it says forgive but sometimes when they're not 
They're not, it's not a forgiveness thing here. It's a sin thing. Yeah. You know, when that brother does sin against you, yeah, you want to forgive him. That's the goal of this. Yeah. I mean, it's for both parties to seek seek forgiveness, love, trust, brotherly harmony, you know, sisterly love. It's 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 what the goal is. Mm-hmm. The goal is restoration. The goal is thriving. The church thrives when discipline is practiced yeah. in a biblical way. Yeah, and in First Corinthians, uh, when when Paul handles church discipline, he actually when it gets to this point of excommunicating, Paul says to leave them for the destruction yeah. of their flesh, that they may be restored. Because what happens is when we remove that communion, we're saying, man, this is not business as usual here. Like we are not affirming this lifestyle that we are living. So really, all we're doing is we're pulling our hands back and saying, "Have it your way." Yeah. And you know what? Often, for someone who's truly born again, what happens is usually in very little time at all, that person is broken of their sin mm-hmm. and comes to full repentance. I I don't remember who said this, but they said, you know, there's those that God says to them. They say to God, "God, thy will be done." And there's others that God says fine have it your way mm-hmm. that's a terrifying thing to think of mm-hmm. you know if we're not going to repent at what point does god just say okay i'm backing off go touch the stove a couple times you'll come running back yeah you know if we are christ this is the beauty of it too you know if that brother is disciplined what doesn't hear but if they are in christ he is not going to leave them there he's going to he is going to work and move and cause them to repent you know and that is the beauty of the Calvinistic gospel mm-hmm. um, that we know Christ's sheep will hear his voice and they will come. And when they've sinned openly and they have, they have grievous sin that is unrepentant of, he will correct it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was verse 18. 18. We yep. see that we have his authority to make such proclamations. So then in verse 19, Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them. By my Father in heaven. And this is talking about his presence here, or his mm-hmm. support. Yep. So we have the full support of the Father in heaven when we gather together in unison to confront a brother or sister in sin. Jesus knows that discipline is not easy. Mm-hmm. And that we'll be tempted to shy away from it and to, and to not carry it out. So he's encouraging us with the resources of heaven. Absolutely. You know, here we come with the King of Kings getting our back yeah i mean that that ought to it ought to make us tremble really i mean in this discipline thing like god almighty god almighty is involved in this you know this is not some nilly willy god you know this is not the god of you know this is not Baal. Um, this is the king of kings the lord of lords the king who the, the the god who says i take you know the king's heart is waters before the lord he directs him where he wants yep that's our king yeah they're the one that says i govern the nations i will bring them under my footstool i will rule them if they will not be ruled by me then i will judge them mm-hmm. i mean this it's it's terrifying on one side mm-hmm. but it's reassuring on the other you have the whole host of heaven getting your back yeah that's awesome. Yeah. All right. And now the pinnacle of this. Oh, I promise yeah. we're starting to wrap up. The verse, one of the most taken out of context verses, I think, in our day and age. This verse that says, oh, when two or three are gathered in my name, there's church. Or when two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus' presence is there. So let's look at this in the context. Verse 20. Jesus says, for where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. He is reassuring us of his presence. 
In this context, he's talking about the difficult work of church discipline when two or, ple- two or three believers are gathered to address a brother or sister living in unrepentant sin. When we do the tough work of gentle, loving confrontation, or confrontation we can be assured that Christ's presence, which is always with us, we already established mm-hmm. that, Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, will be especially real and strong in the midst of the situation. This should give us great confidence. It's not easy to confront people, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's with two or three witnesses, whether it's to the church, whether it's ex This is not an easy process. And for those of us who have walked through this process, whether it be the one being disciplined or the one uh, on the other side, is the church. Jesus is saying to the church, I am here with you in a special way in this. And I, and I felt that before. I felt the presence of God in a very powerful and special way because we are in unison fighting for the sake of his name. Yeah, it, it, it is, it, It's beautiful. You can't put it any other way. And here's the beauty of it, too. When that person, that, that brother who is, who is in this sin, who has offended another brother, offended God Almighty, Christ is still with them. Mm-hmm. You know, he is there. <laughs> He's present. His, he transcends where he rules and he reigns from on high, but he is imminent in that he is there. Yeah. And we can take courage in that. We really should. We should be courageous in that because of the fact that Christ is with us. You know, the, the pagans, the unbelievers, those who are watching this or listening to this, they're lost. Let me tell you. Let me just tell you this. Christ is with his people in a special way. Mm-hmm. He is with you in a special way too, but it is in wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that ought to terrify you if you are listening to this. I, I hope, I pray that you'll repent. You see the beauty of this and see what we're fallible people. The church is full of hypocrites. And that's all we need one another. Absolutely. And we need each other to call it out. That doesn't mean we've arrived. And you know what? There's some nasty Christians out there yep. that really are. Shame on you. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that your church practiced church discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the church of Christ is always fighting sin. We're not better than you. Mm-hmm. We're no better. Yeah. Trust me. And me and my flesh is no good thing. Yeah. You know, the heart is deceitful and a wicked above all things. Christ is with his church in these moments where he is correcting her and loving her. But if you're outside of Christ, man, his wrath abides on you. In us, the spirit dwells. Mm-hmm. In you, his wrath is over you like a storm cloud waiting mm-hmm. to be poured out. It's scary. Come to him. Absolutely. Repent. And so, and exactly. And I know a lot of times people can look at repent as a dirty word. It literally means a change of direction, yeah. to turn from one way. So if this is you right now and you're, and you're hearing this and you're going, wow, that's some strong words. God's wrath is on me. We're only telling you this because we love you. Yep. Turn from that sin. Turn away from that sin and look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So per the episode title, when two or three are gathered in his name, somebody getting disciplined. So next time you're in a prayer meeting, somebody says, where two and three or more are gathered, you might want to leave because guess what? They might be talking church discipline. About you. About you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just just a quick recap here. This, this thing starts with one-on-one. Yeah. You go and you confront the sin to that person one-on-one. You don't talk to other people about it. You don't gossip about it. You seek un- that understanding. Secondly... You take those two or three witnesses. If they refuse the counsel of the two or three witnesses, you take it to the church. You take it to the church. They refuse the, the, they refuse the counsel of the church. Then you treat him 
or her as somebody who is an unbeliever and you rest assured in God's authority that he's given you to, as a church to speak over this matter, his support, uh, that, that he is there with you providing the resources of heaven and his presence, that he is with you in a special way when two or three are gathered to discipline. He's there in a special way to fight with you for that person and for his name's sake. Amen. So let's conclude this thing after four hours of recording. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's a long one. We apologize. It nah, it's okay. You're but, still listening. Yeah. The twos and twos of you now. <laughs> so this, this conclusion is a bit of an admonition, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah Ch- church discipline is one of the marks of a healthy church. We are called to make disciples and we've demonstrated that part of discipling is discipline. It's, it's, it's loving correction. It's addressing those things that we see in one another um, that, that are falling short of what, of what God has commanded. Um, and, and correcting one another as we go astray. And let me just encourage you with this. The pain of being confronted in our sin pales in comparison to being left to be swallowed up by our sin and meet its bitter end. That is the wrath of God. The pain of being confronted in our sin pales in comparison with being left to be swallowed up in our own sin. So, man, may that encourage you as, as your church uh, seeks to discipline someone. Yes, it's, it's, it's going to hurt them, but it's, gonna, it's loving them in the long run. And, and it's, it's certainly going to hurt that person. <laughs> yeah, it's it, going to hurt us. It's not going to be comfortable. You know, look at that Hebrews chapter 12, going back to that, where it says that if you're not disciplined, you're an illegitimate child. If you're not being disciplined, if you're not being disciplined by God, you might have check your faith. Yeah. You know, check yourself whether you're in their faith or not. If discipline is not there and you are running rampant, check yourself. Check your heart. As John Chris would yeah, say. John Chris. So does your church embrace or ignore Jesus' teaching here? Yeah. Um, so I know what you're thinking. There, here, I was gonna say there's yeah. there's some reasons I can already think of that people are gonna say this is why I'm gonna ignore this. So you wanna what do you got first for us in the docket, Nick? Well, here it is. Aren't you judging someone? It's too ju- church discipline is too judgmental. Yeah, isn't you're, it? yes, it's, you're so judgmental. We hear that from the world. That claim is thrown at Christians all the time. I always love when somebody says, "Stop judging them." I say, "Stop judging me for judging yeah. them." Yeah, you know, I mean, how how, how they, ridiculous of an argument is they that? take out of context. Judge not, lest you be yeah. judged. Oh, that's ooh, we don't have that one on there either. No, uh, that's that's okay. That's for y'all lost ones. Every Christian can hopefully understands that one. But aren't we being judgmental? I mean, th- no, it's not. I mean, mm-hmm. Scripture tells us that judgment begins in the house of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are to judge one another. Uh, because the outside world, you know what? I don't have to judge the world. When I look at some of the stupidity going on in our country and in our world, I don't have to judge them. They've already been judged. Yeah. But in the church, we are to really judge with a righteous judgment one another to call sin sin we have no problem saying you know homosexuality is a sin to the world but in the church we have a hard time saying brother you know um the 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 gluttony is a sin i mean or the way you treated that person was a sin Mm -hmm. we have a hard time saying that because we want to be grace graceful we want to be gracious to our brothers but man if we don't have those hard discussions if we don't look at each other and judge rightly, what are we doing to the name of Christ? Yeah. But I thought Christians weren't supposed to judge. We are that, to judge. That's right. false. Jesus yep. said in John 7, 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. 
In Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by your fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. So we are to judge, but we are to judge not by the external appearance of somebody, but by the fruit of their lives. Yeah, I'm glad y'all don't judge by the exterior appearance because I'm pretty ugly. That'd be a horrifying <laughs> He's thing got a me. face for radio. I do. He's got a good voice for it too, though, actually. Um, and of course, we're told then in Matthew 18, as we just saw here, not only to judge, but to discipline as well. So another objection. So, we, you know, we've, we've debunked that one. Yeah. You're not supposed to be judgmental. Actually, we are called to be judgmental. Um, it's uncomfortable, right? Like it, it, it is extremely uncomfortable confronting somebody in their sin. Like, like I understand that. Um, I, I'm a, I'm like, I'm a fairly introverted person. Uh, and so I can relate to that, but avoiding conflict for the sake of comfort is one of the most unloving things that you or I can ever do to somebody. Yeah, it is uncomfortable. I mean, but what's funny is we don't find it uncomfortable in our home when it comes to our children. Yeah. You know, we don't find that uncomfortable. Um, and we should, well, I think uncomfortable is a good thing in this. I mean, we don't want to be comfortable doing it. We don't want it to be this thing. You know, I, I, I think it was Oswald Chambers who said before he goes in the pulpit, he would actually, I think it was him, said he would actually quake and tremble um, before he was this ex- great expositor who was, who was almost trembling before before going before the church to preach God's word. And he wasn't trembling because of that. He was uncomfortable because he had to stand and what he was about to say was going to be blasted to heaven. God was going to miss nothing of it. To understand that mm-hmm. when we go into these these times, it's uncomfortable and it should be. One, because we love our brother, mm-hmm. but two, understand that we want to represent Christ well, mm-hmm. and it should be make us uncomfortable to know that we could be wrong, mm-hmm. and we want to bring this right. I mean, yeah. we, we want that uncomfortability in two ways. One, for a, we want to be uncomfortable because it's not a. We don't want to be comfortable in it because then we're just doing it for the wrong motives, and we don't want to be uncomfortable before Christ in it. We want we have that uncomfortable to be before Christ. That that's knowing the God of all, the God who has authority, the God who sits on high enthroned in heaven. Is watching this. He's mm-hmm. in the midst of this moment. Mm-hmm. So we, we've kind of addressed some common objections to church discipline. What are some reasons then that we can embrace it? Because it's loving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How much do you have to hate somebody when they're walking towards a cliff not to tell them that? Yeah. I mean, to to just pander to them, to offer them better food, come back and say, coffee over here. You know, that if they're blind going towards a cliff, yeah. a cliff, it is... You have to love them to grab them and plead with them and say, brother, there's a cliff. Don't go towards it. That's loving. Mm-hmm. That is the most loving thing you can do to a blind man walking towards a cliff. Yeah. So in this, it's a loving thing to do. Mm-hmm. You have to love this person. You have to love the church. Mm-hmm. You know, understand we're protecting one another too. Let's say I, I take off in a sin and other people are seeing it. Mm-hmm. What's to say that's not going to lead other brothers aside and go, Away and they're going. Well, he did it. I can do it. Especially in our, especially in our context, where it's like Nick, Nick is an elder at our church. So if Nick is able to live in unrepentant sin, what does that say to those who are weaker in the faith? Those who are spiritual babes who aren't yet mature. They go, oh, 
well, Nick's an elder of the church, and uh, Nick is given over to this particular sin. Let's say it's, let's say uh, when Nick goes out to, you know, we go and hang out, uh, get some burgers or something. He he just like keeps getting smashed. <laughs> you know, it, it, if they oh well, it must be okay though because Nick loves God, right? And Nick loves God, and he's an elder of the church. So no, this is this is why we have to lovingly correct it. It's love for the individual entrenched in the sin, and it's love for the church in the sense that. We have to protect those weaker sheep. Yeah, it's love for the the watching world too. Yeah, I mean they see this stuff going on. You know, you like we mentioned, like Dan mentioned earlier. You know, if if you've been in the church and you've seen some really crappy stuff happen and it's deterred you from it, that's the church's fault. I mean, we'll, we'll take responsibility for that. We should. We should. Yeah, we should you be know, disciplining. We should. And if we're not being disciplining, and you're not seeing, man, th- they did some. But I've seen this person changed. I've seen them corrected. You don't know what went on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. but you've seen that. You should. I hope that would cause you to go, man. Re- you know, uh, the church isn't out to get me. Mm-hmm. You know, reality is you're already judged by Christ. But we're we're, we're on display. We're the gospel on display for the world. Yeah. You know, and then also it's it's love for Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, church has got to uphold his name. His name is at stake. Mm-hmm. So we need to obey him mm-hmm. out of love. Mm-hmm. And so within discipline, it's the most loving thing mm-hmm. you can do. Yeah, and additionally, like as we've seen here, uh, just working through Matthew 18, it's biblical. Mm-hmm. Jesus commands it. Commands it. So the question then is, are we obedient to the words of Jesus or are we disobedient? If we're being disobedient, that means that we are sinning. Mm-hmm. If we are not disciplining, that means that we are sinning. Absolutely. You know, so we, we need to, within this, we need to love one another. You know, the, the other thing too, it's unifying and promotes the health, the health of a church. Mm-hmm. It does. You know, we want to take parts of our body that are hurting and, and, and help them heal. And help them learn to straighten them. Yeah. You know, to learn to walk with Christ. It unifies our church mm-hmm. it really does you know mm-hmm. how much can you think of you know a time where you went to a brother and said hey you have sinned and this sin is there and that brother afterwards what does that do to your relationship it actually binds you tighter when when that person responds because you know that i know this person does love me mm-hmm. they love me enough to be uncomfortable it's awkward but they love me mm-hmm. rejoice because you are loved mm-hmm. it's awesome mm-hmm. man yeah, when one part, when one, one part, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might have to cut that out later. No, you should just keep that in. When one. one part of the body is not functioning properly, the whole body yeah. suffers. We already talked about that, talking about the analogy of, of the toe. Yeah, that's right. You know, it clarifies and burnishes the church's witness before the nation's an unbelieving world. Mm-hmm. You know, it clarifies what we are. Mm-hmm. It shows that we are an imperfect people mm-hmm. um, that are, that are, that are, way wrong many times mm-hmm. and do a lot wrong we still sin yeah um I, i'll admit as you know as you look at the apostle paul through his life you know first thing he says you know i'm the least of all the disciple or the apostles mm-hmm. then later on in life he said i'm the least of all the brethren and then before his death he writes i'm the chief of sinners yeah you know and to understand ourselves in light of that and understand that we need checking and correction because mm-hmm. we're clarifying to the world that the church is a witness for christ you know in this too it warns sinners of an even greater judgment to come. When the church is judging herself, mm-hmm. it shows there is judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, understand the unbelieving world, there is a hell. Those apart from Christ, those who are not his, his children, those who are not called by him, be warned. 
There is a judgment coming. Mm -hmm. There is a real hell. Go stand out in the road and say, I don't believe in buses. I don't believe in buses. And when the (laughs) reality of a bus smacks you, you understand that there are buses. Mm -hmm. And God's wrath is there. It abides over those unbelieving people. It is there looming and waiting. Mm -hmm. So this shows them there is judgment because judgment is even in the church, we're judging one another. We're loving Mm -hmm. one another and and calling each other to repent. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you judgment's know, inescapable. Absolutely. And then most importantly, it protects the name and reputation of Jesus Christ here on earth. His name is great. Mm-hmm. Blessed be our God. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Old Testament, the Israel is the Jews were afraid to say the very name of God. You know, they eliminated letters from it. Mm-hmm. And, and and they they held it in such high esteem. Here we have that name that is above every names. In the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth. Understand, every knee will bow. Either here on earth you will bow to Jesus as king. Or, or, or when you die, you will, you will bow before him in judgment, mm-hmm. but you will bow before him. Mm-hmm. So this, his name is at stake within church discipline mm-hmm. and we ought to never, ever, ever, ever take it too lightly. Yeah. Yeah. This is just going back. Like the reason why we, we discipline Jesus commanded it, but it's for his name's sake. Like, the church to the world right now is a great reproach because they look at us and they go, you're not being who you claim that you're being. You know, it's like, you know, the accusation we'll hear a lot of times at the abortion clinic is like, well, how come you don't care about all life? Which honestly, largely has been true. You know, a lot of times, yeah, we, we've been great about the unborn, but what about people in the prison system that are unjustly enslaved? What about, what about all the children in the foster care programs? Like, yeah, they're, they're, they're dead on point, but the big issue here is the name of Christ, and we are allowing a reproach to be brought upon it by not correcting the sin. The, I would, I don't even know what a good statistic would be, but I'd say, man, over ninety percent of churches don't actively oh. do discipline. Yeah, I can think of all the churches I've been to over the years. Uh, one, two, well, really two that I was real rather involved in for a number of years, and there was no such thing as church discipline. Yeah, it was not exercise. It might have been there might have been small levels of it where it's one on one stuff, mm-hmm. but beyond that, it never ever ever there was never a, a doctrine of it. There was never a, a teaching on it. It was just is what it is, you know. So yeah. so let's close this thing out. Let's after two and a half hours of recording, <laughs> maybe three. Jesus hasn't returned yet. We got plenty of time. That's true. That's true. Um, that post mail. Yeah. Before we close, I just want to hit one one thing too, yeah. which someone may ask. And I don't remember if we've addressed it or not, but how often, how often does our church practice church discipline? And I would say probably pretty dang close to weekly, but it's because it never goes beyond the first, like, praise God, we haven't had to excommunicate somebody yet, but it's because we are so intentionally, we are so, or we are so intentional with one another that like, man, when we see something or we see a deficiency, like we just, we go up and we embrace that person and we provide loving correction. Like I said, usually it's in the form of a question like, Hey Nick, when you said that to me, um, what did you mean by that? Yep. You know, and so we are having those one-on-one meetings, literally weekly, with one another. Like we are disciplined, elders of the church, we are disciplining one another. But thanks be to God that we haven't had a lot of instances of having to go to this formal church discipline where we have to take it to the church and things like that. I, I hope your church does practice discipline, mm-hmm. but in that, I hope you personally are practicing discipline. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think even take it a step further. Our church, I know I can speak for many people at our church, is practicing church discipline moment by moment in their own lives. Yes. They're holding themselves up to the, to the light of Scripture, to the law of God, seeing what he has said to do. Are we following that if we're not actually disciplining ourselves? Um, that's when this church discipline does come in. So mm-hmm. we ought to be practicing discipline in our personal lives mm-hmm. 
moment by moment. Mm-hmm. You know, calling mm-hmm. ourselves on stuff when we do when we do wrong and mm-hmm. sin against the world or sin mm-hmm. against the brothers. So we should yeah. always be wary of disciplining ourselves. Yeah, there we have no unity apart from truth. Absolutely, we have to have truth. All right, so now let's go ahead and let's close this thing up. Um, and we kind of already alluded to this. Like, does your church practice church discipline? Um, we just want to give a couple practical steps here. Um, if you're a lay person uh, and you're not sure, I hate um, that term. A lay person, I do. That's because it's because. Yeah, it's as if there's like super Christians and not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm triggered. No, no, I, go ahead. Sorry, I had to. I hate that word. <laughs> that'll yeah, that'll be another. So, sorry, sorry, Nick. I didn't mean to trigger you. He triggered me. Don't actually. Do you guys remember in the last episode, Nick said, "I'm not a le- millennial. I don't get triggered." <laughs> yeah, but that triggered me. Actually, I kind of am a millennial. Your dad and I are. Yeah. Co millennials. We've been over this. We're millennials by, proc. No. Anyways, because y'all. No. I'm Back just- on track. Uh, but no, if, if, so if you're somebody who is a, a member at a church, an attender at a church, you're not somebody that is that is an elder, um, you know, your church may be practicing church discipline. You may not even be aware of it because they're doing such a good job of it. Yeah, absolutely. But if you feel like, man, I don't know if we are or not, and, you, and you're asking yourself, you know, I'd say go to your lead, go to some leaders and just ask why or why not. Maybe share this podcast with them. Also, I've got a, a book here that I, I used a lot in preparation uh, for this. This is, if you saw the post earlier in the week from us, I said like, oh man, you know, anybody else, you know, think they have a good grasp on something and then study and realize they don't have a good grasp on it at all. That was me with church discipline. I thought I knew a lot. I, I guess I didn't. Um, but this book is fantastic. It's by Jonathan Lehman. It's one of the nine marks of a healthy church book. It's called Church Discipline, How the Church Protects the Name of Christ. And this is just a, a great a great primer. So maybe share this book or share the podcast or both. Um, but if you're a pastor who's going like, oh, man, okay, yeah, I just I hadn't thought about that. Like, that's, that's, it's pretty common. Um, but you'd like to implement discipline. Uh, here are some practical tips. They were actually uh, laid out in this, in this book, and I thought they were really solid. Um, but it said... Before you start disciplining, teach. There's a whole chapter on that. Because what happens is a lot of times like the idea of church discipline triggers people. It, get, it, gets, them, it gets them really upset. Um, but then they're like, oh, man, Jesus commanded it, and I'm not being obedient to that command. Suddenly they just want to go and they want to start disciplining everyone and everything. Uh, so he, says, he lays it out this way. He says the first thing that we need to do is we need to teach about holiness and repentance. Remember, Jesus said to be holy as I am holy. He, told, he tells us to constantly all the time be turning away from our sin and to be looking to him i think of hebrews 12 again lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run to jesus looking mm-hmm. to jesus the author and perfecter of our faith um so teach we the first thing to do is just man if we're not teaching about holiness and repentance um yeah you know that's an issue uh also it talks about teach about membership because we don't you know even at our church on sunday mornings there's a lot I shouldn't say a lot, but there's a good amount of people um, there that, that aren't professing believers yet, and so they're not members. Or at our church, we call them church partners because of Philippians one five, um, where Paul thanks them for being partners in the gospel with him. But but we need to know who you know who is a member of Christ's body and who is not. Absolutely, you teach about discipleship. Yep, you know discipleship is important. Discipline is part of that word, mm-hmm. um, and teach about that how we disciple one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll admonish you if you are a leader of the church, you know, get a mentor, get somebody that you can disciple under that's a, that maybe, you know, that somebody can bounce things off of, but to teach about that, to teach the importance of personal discipleship itself, mm-hmm. um, to be a disciplined person, somebody that is, you know, you want to look at practical things, reading the word of God, 
you know, one of the lost arts and something I absolutely love, and you can catch it from hearing me talk, is I love church discipline oh. or, or church discipline. I love churches. I do love that. No, but memorizing scripture. You know, these kind of things that are there, so we're we're actively discipling ourselves, but we need to teach the church about dis- discipleship. Mm-hmm. It is a needed thing. Um, mm-hmm. There's also that of teaching about self-deception. Mm-hmm. You know, we are easily deceived, like Piper said that, like I, I quoted. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm my own worst enemy. Yeah. I can be deceived so easily. Mm-hmm. We need people to hold us accountable Absolutely. to help and that, us see those. And that's where discipleship falls in. If you don't have that person, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and obviously we need to teach about love like this is all done from a place of love so once again that book by jonathan lehman uh church discipline fantastic resource uh for pastors or for people that aren't pastors but i think it's definitely directed at those who are who are wanting to implement it i'm not sure that we hit this with clarity on the front i know we're wrapping up now at this point um but man we don't need to go tattling on people for every stinking little sin no i should have started with that (laughs) no but but i think we hit it there yeah i'm within it you know some sins are more visible. Some sins are seen. And, we, you know, as a parent, I, I use a parent analogy a lot. I got six kids. I got a grandson. Um, and and it, it strikes home to me within within the love and the discipleship and the discipline um, to pulling it back. Like, you know, I don't have to tell every my kids everything they're doing wrong. Yeah. I, as a parent, I want to. I want to be like, hey, man, this. But there are those lessons we have to learn ourselves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're hard-bought lessons. Mm-hmm. But we learn more a lot of times from them. So really, we want to be careful when discipline is brought in. Because sometimes it's just like, you know, somebody hasn't been discipled and doesn't know. They just don't know. Mm-hmm. I know you and I talked about it before, before we started. When, when dis, dis, discipleship happens, discipline, you look at a, a new believer, and yeah, they do get hammered. Um, they're getting drunk. Um, you're going to respond to yeah. them a different way than you are the seasoned brother who has never done this before and is now starting to get into it. Yeah. There's two different ways of doing it. So yeah. we have to take each case-to-case basis. Yeah. We have to look at it from yeah. an outside source. Sometimes it's like, yeah. man, it's a lack of discipleship. Yep. Sometimes like it's a lack of discipline. Yep. But either way, it falls back to love. Yeah. How much do you love? Yep. And the key here, man, discernment. Mm-hmm. Discernment prayer and practicing the presence of god like that's why it talks about when two or three are gathered in his name he's there in their midst because we need that like we need discernment as we are as we are ministering to people because every situation is different it's not it's not cookie cutter no fortunately jesus has given us this process to walk through um, but the way that we conduct ourselves we don't have a cookie cutter response it's like oh for sin a you do this for sin b you do this it's not it's not that simple um, there's there's a lot of variables here so once again man I would refer you back to that book on Jonathan Le- uh, by Jonathan Lehman church discipline and this is just one passage in the New Testament uh, that talks about church discipline there's a whole bunch of other ones if you would uh, like to know more about those feel free to, to shoot us a message but for today's purposes once again we're tipping over those cows and we're going back to their context so the context here was Matthew 18. All right, so I think that's all we got. Is that all we got? Yeah, I still got a little more cigar left. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna finish this out on our own without you watching, so we can smoke cigars. And yeah, talk about how poorly we put this together. Yeah. At the end of the day, like share this stuff. I mean, I hope we've blessed you. I hope you've learned something. I hope at the end of the day, we either made you ticked you off, you know, cause you to change, or you might just tune us off all together. Mm. It's all good. Either way. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Peace. Uh